uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the title of my paper actually should have been The Immutable Entities of Time. I think I was very busy when I, when I informed the organizers that it's, it's the Ayan Tabda in Arabic. But, uh, so, so I'm speaking about the immutable entities of Ayan Tabda and time. Uh, ancient thinkers fall roughly into two, two uh, groups. Some are interesting only from an academic point of view, as objects of study for the historian or philosophy. Others, however, remain relevant for contemporary readers as well. They need to be studied not only as part of the history of human thought, but also on their own and for the merit of their ideas as contemporary thinkers. Even Arabic belongs to the second group, as I think all present would agree. I have always personally found one of these central concepts, the Anthabita, most interesting. Chittik, in his book of 1989, translates this as immutable entity, though later replacing the English term by fixed entity. Though I do see his point in changing the translation, I still prefer to speak of immutable entities, at least in this paper. Yesterday, Dr. Dudley spoke about uh, immutable identities, but I'm not uh, taking a stance whether we should say entity or, or identity. Uh, I just prefer to take the, the, the more com common form, entity, as a term. Uh, the immutable entities are the non-existent objects of God's knowledge, with non-existent here referring to the lack of existence within creation, in contrast to existence within God's immutable knowledge. The Ayan Thabda are specifically the immutable entities of possible or contingent things, Ayana Munkinata Thabda. From another viewpoint, the immutable entities are the realities of the things found at, uh, at some time in the cosmos and the low key of manifestation for all the attributes of beauty and majesty, and thus in their nature receptive to the effusion of the divine names. They belong to the most holy effusion, the al fad al-Aqdas, and when, when God discloses himself in the cosmos through the holy effusion, al fad al-Qaddas, he makes the immutable entities manifest. In the receptivity, the ayan may be called lower mothers, the names, the divine names, being the higher fathers. The sons are the possible one in existence. The immutable entities do not have uh, an external existence, al-wujud al-kharij. This does not make them ontologically unreal, since the, their lack of existence only refers to the cosmos and to themselves, not to God. For God, they are the real object objects of his eternal knowledge. In their state of non-existence, the immutable entities lack consciousness of themselves. They are not found by themselves, playing the word maljud, but they are still eminently real. The main reason why such a concept was needed by Ibn Arabi is the unchanging nature of God and his knowledge, together with the doctrine of, uh, or doctrine of his omniscience. If the changes in creation and in time did not equate something immutable, fixed and unchanging within God's knowledge, one would come to the conclusion that either God is not omniscient, not knowing uh, what events take place, or that he would not be immutable and unchanging. So if he, if he came to know something, then his knowledge would change and then he would not be immutable and unchanging. If he came to know events, either before or after their occurrence, there would be an increase in his knowledge, and thus in him as well. This would imply that earlier he was not perfect, because with the increase of his knowledge, he becomes more perfect than he used to be. 
Thus, the God of yesterday would be imperfect in comparison to the God of today, and this would go on tomorrow. If, it's, if it is not an eternal Saturday, that's another thing. <coughs> Thus, change in creation needs to be counterbalanced by something immutable in God's knowledge. In Platonic and Neoplatonic thought, uh, this unchangeability was attributed to ideas, which, in a sense, were an eternal archetype or blueprint of all things in the material world. When Neoplatonic thought was combined with monotheism, it was natural to locate the ideas in the mind of the one God. Greek philosophers, however, had no reason to argue for, to argue for God's known particulars. An eternal one contemplating universals in his own mind was enough. This uh, left the, the one uh, far above the creation of the emanating world, and such a, such a one was more or less irrelevant for man's well-being. In fact, how could the one take care of an individual if his, or should we say, its knowledge was restricted to universals? For Christianity, and later for Islam, this was a major problem. A personal God, whom one should be able to draw close and to address, could not be someone almost autistically curved within himself, contemplating his own mind, not caring about any events in the creative world. The concept of Ayn Thabita was a genial genial, uh, answer to this problem. Uh, The Ayn Thabita are not universals, uh, nor blueprints under each of which a a series of individuals would fall. On the contrary, each Ayn Thabita is individual and particular. For this very reason, the translation permanent archetype, criticized by Chittik, is indeed misleading, as it may lead one to think of Ayan Thabita in terms of Platonic ideas or Jungian archetypes, something about individuals, a feature common to a series of individuals. Likewise, it might be wise to avoid using the translation fixed prototypes given as an alternative translation in the 29 pages. It is also necessary to emphasize that the Ayn Thabita is not a preliminary state of the entity before it really becomes itself an existent being. On the contrary, the primary mode of being for an entity is as an Ayn Thabita in the presence of God, al-Habra. Moreover, it never leaves this state. Would it do so, it would obviously not be immutable. Its coming to be does not mean that it would cease at the same time being an immutable entity. It always remains primarily an Ayn Thabita, and, it, and its manifestation as an existent being is secondary. As an existent being, it is, in fact, a step further removed from God than in its immutable state as an Ayn Thabita. Thus, the Ayn Thabita are, are also not well described as latent. It is only from our limited viewpoint, human viewpoint, that earthly existence may seem more real than being an eternal object of God's knowledge. Uh, The crucial point is how, while distinguishing between them, one may combine between something immutable and unchanging and between something which is subject to change and lives in a continuous change. Uh, Or, in Arabic terms, how to join the immutable ayan thabita to the ever-changing things, ashia, in this world of generation and perishing, as far as I am able to see, even Arabi does not directly address this issue, but his system seems to point the way for us. One might think that the immutable entities are merely individual blueprints for each possible and contingent thing, 
and that they would merely possess a mental existence as a concept in the mind, such as impossible things may also possess. Immutable entities are, however, something else. They are real in being real objects of God's knowledge, and of course this makes them more real than their earthly counterparts, things which are alienated from God. Things are subject to change, but immutable entities are not. Still, the two mirror each other, and there is conflict which has to be solved. To do this, we have to consider the concept of time. Uh, when we consider the immutable entities in connection with time and temporal sequences, we come across some interesting consequences which seem to echo the findings of modern physics. Let me make it clear, though, that I do not believe that Ibn Arabi somehow had a pre-admonition of modern physics. It is unworthy to assume that Ibn Arabi's value as a thinker would depend on how well his thought can be made to agree with modern physics. And of course here we come to the problem mentioned yesterday by, by Dr. Dudley that, uh, that uh, or, or uh, I, I agree with him uh, in, in seeing the, the danger in trying to combine modern physics or modern uh, natural science with, with the ancient thinkers like Ibn Arabi because as we all know modern physics Changes, and we soon come into the con uh, uh, into this, uh, situation where we have connected something ancient with something which uh, is now anti antiquated, like in the, in the Tafsir Ilmi, of, 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 uh, which is very popular in, in the Near East. So, uh, actually, in the Tafsir Ilmi, the, the, uh, the explanation of the Quran uh, in, 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 in the light of natural science, uh, the, the natural science of, of this Tafsir Ilmi is usually the, the early 20th century outdated, antiquated way of seeing the world, but that's enough of that. Uh, as a scientist, Ibn Arabi was inferior to Einstein, Heisenberg or Goethe. That's not where his worth lies, but in his lucid mystical thought and philosophy. Yet there is a striking resemblance between some concepts of modern physics and the immutable entities. For me, this is an interesting example of how similar conclusions may be reached from widely different starting points. It does not make Ibn Arabi a scientist, but it does show that sometimes science is a long and complicated way of proving and showing in detail something that we can grasp intuitively in a more direct way by our thought, or by divine inspiration, if you will. Ibn Arabi uh, makes it clear that time is a relation that has no wujud in its entity. Time is thus a relation between events, or in other words, it is the organizing principle of events in a sequence, similar to the alphabet. B comes after A but before C, just as the year 2005 becomes after 2004 and, but before 2006. Individual moments are just points on this line. Naturally, now I'm speaking about the Zaman, and, and we could speak about time in another way in, 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 in the Akbarian thought, but I'm drawn to that. When things uh, increase or diminish, the immutable entities do not suffer any change. How is this possible? One possible solution lies in seeing time as the fourth dimension. Not that even Arabi would have used this term, but that is what his view of, of time seems to be aiming at. Uh, one, the, the one will look, look at it in connection with the iron thought. If time is merely an organizing principle, it does not radically differ from the other dimensions. Temporal change within, uh, would then equal movement in space. After Einstein, time is often in, modern, in physics 
conceived as the fourth dimension, which in no essential way differs from, from the other three dimensions. Thus conceived, events are only movement in time in a four-dimensional world. Just as we may change our position in a three-dimensional world by taking a step forward, we also move in time, taking steps into the future, as it were. Scientists speak of space-time worms. By this, they refer to, to a thing's movement in time and space. Thus, to take a hypothetical example, when I take an airplane from Helsinki to New York, I leave a worm-like channel in the air. And an observer able to see the world in a four-dimensional way would see me as worming my way from Helsinki to New York. Such a space-time worm follows my movements from birth to death. When I said that the space-time worm follows my movements through space and time, I actually put it wrong on purpose. The space-time worm does not follow me, it is me. Seen, uh, it, it is me seen four-dimensionally. Let me let, uh, uh, make this uh, clearer by an example. A two-dimensionally thinking creature would be unable to see any third dimension in me, let us say, hate, and would see me as a flat, flat creature, a drawing of the paper, as it were. If it followed me in the third dimension, hate, it would see uh, my succeeding Sorry, uh, succeeding uh, uh, two-dimensional cross-sections as changes in me. For it, the third dimension would look like the organizing principle of events, or changes. A three-dimensional thinking creature, such as we are, conceives me as a, as a thing having hate, width and depth. Yet in reality, if we believe in a four-dimensional world, this picture is as restricted as the two-dimensional two one. Now, in a four-dimensional world, temporal change is not real. In a three-dimensional world, one cannot properly, uh, properly say that I change when, starting from my feet upward, one looks at my body and finally at my head. There is no change in my person. There is only change in the restricted view of the observer. For the whole time, I have been three-dimensional. Similarly, a space-time worm does not change. It is. When a baby grows up, the space-time worm does not change, just like my feet do not change to become my body when the observer follows me in this dimension. Even when one dies, there is no change. There just is nothing more uh, beyond a, a point in time, just as there is nothing more after one comes to my head. Everyone will look at the third dimension, head. Uh, I'm nearly uh, finished in that direction at about the height of six feet. After that, at the height of, say, seven feet, there is no me, just like there will be no me in the direction of time after, let us say, year 2100. Presumably. <laughs> uh, neither restriction involves change. An immutable entity may be compared to a space-time worm. The birth of a person, of a person and his life until death is an immutable sequence in a four-dimensional world involving no changes, except if we consider the situation three-dimensionally. Thus, it is only our blindness to four-dimensionality that entices us to see the sequence as change, and time as something radically different from the other three dimensions. Likewise, an immutable entity is immutable, although its manifestations may seem to change in time. The original, the immutable entity, is uh, eternally unchanging in God's mind. A thing, shape, is merely a three-dimensional cross-section of a four-dimensional being, the Anthabita, as it were. A metaphor will make the matter clear, clearer. 
different changing things in our world in our world is built in in the immutable entities which do not suffer any change just like a video cassette and I'm going to address the question of movies and films <laughs> uh, so uh, just like a video cassette contains a film where people seem to walk around and change yet the video itself undergoes no change only when we choose to watch the video we seem to perceive an ongoing change a sequence of events yet even at the time of our watching the video with all the increases and diminishments presented in it, in it the video and its characters remain immutable and without the sli slightest change. The change only refers to our perceiving, or in Islamic language, the treasuries of God are never diminished, although we may eternally level treasures from them. God is thus watching us on his video. The only difference is that we have a consciousness, uh, whereas characters on the video remain ignorant of being watched. It is as if the characters on the video would be watching themselves. Something like this seems to be uh, the idea in one passage in the Futuhata Makkiya. I quote. The engendered things of God emerged from an existence, that is to say, that which is comprised by these treasuries took another existence. In other words, they become manifest from, the, from these treasuries and to themselves through the light by which themselves are unveiled. In the darkness of the tre treasuries, they have been, had been veiled from the vision of themselves since they were in the state of their own non-existence, end of quote. In modern terms, one could visualize this through our video metaphor. While the immutable entities remain eternally in God's knowledge, they are distinct from him. Ibn Arabi was no pantheist, although this charge is routinely thrown at his face by his Islamic critics. Ibn Arabi, commenting on a hadith Qudsi, points to this distinction, distinction That which is both immutable and existent must be finite, but the immutable is infinite. That which is infinite cannot be qualified by diminishment, since that of, that of it which gains actuality in existence is not diminished from immutability. The reason for this is that the thing in its immutability is identical to the thing in the state of its existence except that God has clothed it in the robe of existence through himself. So the existence belongs to God, the real, while the thing remains in its immutability, neither diminishing or increasing, nor increasing, end of quote. Thus, existence, wujud, or we might say temporal existence, is what distinguishes things from their immutable entities and provides the, uh, the mutable side for these entities, without their, and consequently God's, immutability being compromised. We might think that the immutable entities are temporarily un unlimited, since they are located outside of time. Time, however, is a feature belonging to the creation, and everything within creation is temporarily limited. Or, to put it in the Akbarian diction, time is a relation that has no wujud in its entity, which we heard about that yesterday and the only uh, absolutely temporarily unlimited being is God himself. Thus, the difference between God, God and the contingents is that only God is unlimited by time within creation, within the world of generation and perishing. The things in the world are limited by time. The in immutable entities are unrelated to time. They are outside of time, not within it. 
God, on the contrary, is limit, unlimited by time in the world too. Thus, the, the, immutable, the immutable entities are unlimited by time only in the sense that time has no relevance for them. They are neither limited nor unlimited by time from one point of view. Only God is unlimited by time in time. Outside of time, everything is quite obviously unlimited by time. This unlimitedness arises from the fact that there is uh, no sense in speaking about time outside of the created world. No sequence of events can, uh, can be arranged where not, nothing happens. We might clar clarify this with the following example. Prisoners in a jail are limited by doors and locks. The jailer is unlimited by this, since, uh, since he has the keys. Those outside of the prison are also, in a sense, unlimited by the doors and the locks, but not because they would be able to pass through them, opening the locks, but merely because they have no relation whatsoever with the locks and the doors. Once inside the prison, they would be equally limited by them as the prisoners. Or we, uh, we may return to our video metaphor. An actor's role in a video is limited to, say, 20 minutes when the, when the film is being played. So, he's limited, so he is limited by time. When the cassette remains on the shelf, the film not being shown, his role cannot be measured in time. In a way, he is then unlimited by time, because we cannot say that his role consists of so and so many minutes, because the film is not shown. But neither is he playing his role even for a fracture of one second. He remains static and outside of time. Time has no relevance for him. Time is irrelevant when the film is not being shown. God, on the other hand, is the main character uh, in the film, being on stage for the whole time of the film, coming and going throughout the scenes at will. Here, obviously, the metaphor is, is inadequate. Even the main character would be limited by the script, by the role he played when the film was being moved, uh, when the movie was being filmed. We might put this into Akbarian language by saying that God has no authority to limit him. Thus, he is temporarily unlimited both within time and outside of it. And here is the difference between God, who is unlimited by time in all modes, and the I and Tabita, which are uh, other, other things which are limited by time as I and Tabita, but not as things. But let us come back to our four-dimensional world. In this world, God is the observer who is able to see the four-dimensional world as such, without reducing it to a set of three-dimensional cross-sections or frames for following each other. Thus, he senses all nows, all what's, or ands, as a single presence, der ewige Nora of Meister Eckhart. Or we might say that he views all the frames of the film projected simultaneously on a wall. The platonic allusion here is accidental, though perhaps not irrelevant. Each and every scene, past, present, and future, is simultaneously there, and he may view them at pleasure. Time only refers to the sequence of the scenes and involves no changes in the characters. The character in frame X may seem different to our, our eyes in frame X plus one, but for God both scenes are present at the same time and the character, uh, character A consists of all occurrences from AX to AX plus N. Sorry, I, I should have a blackboard here to write it down. <laughs> so, sorry for that. Uh, the immutable uh, entity mirrors the sum total of the occurrences of a character in all frames. It is not the same as the occurrences uh, in the film projected on a wall. It merely mirrors them. 
They, as the temporal sum total, are equally immutable as it is, but within time, or in other words, in a three-dimensional world, they seem to be in a continuous change and movement. Things are different from immutable entities. Bringing them, uh, the, bringing the things into existence, ijad, is like running the film. Unshown, the characters remain in a potential state and yearn to be shown. When the film is being shown, the characters start moving and acting, thus receiving a seemingly more concrete, though in, in no way more real, mode of existence. When Ibn Arabi, in, in the Futuhat, comments on the famous hadith, Kuntukazan Mahfiyan, I was a hidden treasure, that treasure may be seen as the video which has not been run as yet. The only difference is, again, that the characters in the film do not have a consciousness of their own. In being given existence, the immutable entities taste their own reality, which the characters in the movie do not do. Space-time worms belong, uh, belong uh, to physics and have no spiritual relevance. The immutable entities, on the contrary, remain in the spiritual world and do not belong to the physical world, where they, they are ma merely manifested, as films are shown in a movie theater. Ibn Arabi described in his works the otherworldly realities on which the, which the world depends, not primarily the material world. So I'm not trying to make Ibn Arabi a modern uh, physician or scientist. In a sense, space-time worms might be equated with a complete manifestation of the immutable entities during the time of their earthly existence. The existent thing at a certain point in time is merely a partial manifestation of its antharta, a cross-section as it were. This way of thinking uh, goes against the meriological essentialism of Epicarmus and his followers, who consider that, I quote, what appears to be a single individual is a rapid succession of individuals an idea which the Asharat doctors later adopted for Islamic theology as perpetual creation of accidents, as we yesterday heard about in the, in the paper of Dr. Kalin, who spoke about the Chab Jadim. In a three-dimensional world, this meriological essentialism disagrees with the idea of one immutable entity, but in a four-dimensional world, the two concepts are not contradictory. To formalize it, and now again I would need a blackboard, but there is no such thing, to formalize it, the immutable entity, capital A, equals in a three-dimensional world the set with um, uh, not capital, but small a's, uh, a1 dot a2, etc., etc., until ax, where a, the, the small a, is the manifestation of the immutable entity at a given moment of time, and at each moment it is discontinuous with what was before it. Even Arabi developed the concept of immutable entity to describe spiritual and otherworldly existence. That his ideas happen to coincide with modern physics is interesting, but his value doesn't lie in this coincidence. It tells much of his powerful insight that a spiritual concept of his can be seen to parallel modern theories of physics, which have been arrived at from a completely different angle. Twenty. What relevance, then, do immutable entities have for us? The philosophical interest for the specialist is both obvious and considerable. For an interested layman, the immutable entities may uh, help to see human life as a continuous process where each moment is equally present under the, under the eyes of God. 